Welcome to the Intercooler Podcast. Welcome to episode 134 of the podcast, everybody, with Dan Prosser and Andrew Frankel, where we're tackling what I think is an important topic for many of our listeners, maybe all of our listeners. Um, we're all talking about affordable fun cars, and in particular, the future of the affordable fun car. Is there um, going to be one? Is there one? Well, that's right, yeah. Does it look bleak? Is there anything to feel encouraged by? Um, but before we do that, let's just... I just want to put one thing to you. What do we mean by affordable? Because everybody on this planet has a different definition of what that word means. So I think we should just set it out right at the top. Well, okay. So what does it mean? I think it needs to be a car. Well, I mean, I, th- I think it starts at, at zero. It starts at nothing. And it ends what with a new price of, I mean, certainly less than 40, po- po- probably less than £30,000. That's, th- less I mean, that's than what, 30. Yeah. Well... Uh, well, I just, I, I, so the only reason I'm pausing at all is I'm just wondering whether the GR86 is Yeah, exactly. And I, uh, <laughs> and I know you can't buy a GR86, but we're not going to disappear down that rabbit hole. Um, yeah. Because we are going to be talking about the GR86, and we know that it's, for some people, find it immensely frustrating, which I completely understand because they really, really wanted one. Uh, and the entire UK allocation of whatever it was, 800 cars, sold out mm. in three seconds flat. But um, what is the list price of that car? Is it 29995 or something? I think it's probably... I think it's about 30, isn't it? Yeah, and I think okay. probably so, once you've ticked a couple of boxes, it's into the 30s. Okay, GR86 downwards then. Uh, but I think, okay. I think you're, you are right. People do have their own ideas of what it is, but I think we all know an affordable car when we see one. And there's mm. not going to be anything on here, on here I hope, that, you know, that, people, that most people listening to this will think, affordable, you've got to be joking. Um, yeah. yeah, because people will remember when you could get an MX-5 for... 17 grand or something um those days are long 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 gone um and so anything under 35 nowadays for a new car particularly a performance oriented car anything under 35 has got to be affordable it's got to count as affordable is there is there a difference between affordable and cheap yes uh we're really getting into it now um so okay well it doesn't matter well we're not going to talk about anything over 35 ish okay so yeah so now we know and we're, and um, we're going to be talking about a lot that's nowhere nowhere near, near even that mark so where are we today with affordable fun cars you know twenty thousand, thirty thousand, whatever um it i i do remember a time not too long ago when there were lots of little purpose-built sports cars lots of little coupes on the market and we could do group tests with them we could gather a whole bunch of them together go away and do a, do a really lovely group test with a handful of intriguing and genuinely fun, affordable cars. Um, yeah. Nowadays, you'd struggle to pull together a group, wouldn't you? Yeah, you would. It's, yeah. And, and, and the thing is, it's not going to get any better. And I don't want to come over... I mean, I think we tend to... Well, I certainly hope we tend to strike quite a positive note on this, on this podcast. Um, I don't want to come across all doom and gloom, but everything i look at and actually it applies whether you're talking about new cars or second-hand cars it applies for different reasons but i just think that those sorts of cars um they're either not going to be made or they're going to become so expensive they're no we can no longer categorize them as affordable anymore so i think that they are you know i think they are a seriously endangered species um 
and, and for all sorts of reasons. And of course, there are different categories of, of, of affordable sports cars. I mean, there's GR86s, there's MX5, but there's also, and I don't suppose this is the last time this word is going to come into this conversation, you know, <laughs> Fiesta STs. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, cars which, you know, aren't just recreations, cars which you would happily use, you know, every day of your working life. So I, I, I have to say, I, 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 don't think, I don't think it's looking great because... There are there are so many challenges, aren't there? Um, there are challenges because, as we know, we're all moving to, to towards an EV future, rightly or wrongly. Uh, there are challenges because there's an ever increasing amount of mandatory stuff which you have to have on cars these days. Um, all of which makes cars bigger. All of which makes cars more expensive. Um, there is, you know, there is the cost of money at the moment, which is only going to get even more expensive. There is the there is the rise of uh, in value of second-hand cars um which just makes you know even that market ever more challenging i i just think that you know and also from a manufacturer's point of view you know a small sports car certainly um or even actually a hatchback these days um but certainly a, a sports car is kind of like the worst of all worlds if you think what the best of all worlds is for a car manufacturer it's something like a porsche cayenne because you have you can sell them enormous quantities of them and you can make a massive amount of money on both of them so you get volume and you get margin uh, a small sports car is the opposite of that you don't sell very many and you don't make much out of any of them so if you are a cash strapped um car manufacturer and you have this enormous problem of having to finance all those new platforms you're going to have to make to preserve your ev future what are you going to give up what's going to go first are you going to give up on the you know, the stuff that's you know that, that 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 has sort of kept you going all the way through, or are you going to give up the the sort of the icing on the cake, the the thing which you quite like because it's quite good for your brand, it makes people feel warm about it, but actually you make bugger all money out of, um, and that's going to be it. Yeah, these cars, these particularly purpose built sports cars, they therefore they come along in the good times, don't they, when things are all rosy because the manufacturers can afford to do them. But when things are tough, and things have perhaps never been tougher, with the environmental pressures, with very real production and supply problems, with more than anything, this um, switch to EV, which is happening very quickly, and manufacturers are going to find it difficult to, uh, to do that at scale and profitably. So there's, there's all these pressures piling on. And so making a case for actually quite a frivolous kind of car that doesn't drive profit is very, very difficult. And it's one reason why we're seeing platform sharing of sports cars, Super and Z4, MX5 and 124, because it, it, that sort of thing does make the business case possible. for yeah. this sort of car. Yeah, it makes it possible. I mean, both BMW and Toyota told me that if they'd not been able to platform share, those cars would not have been created. They, they simply yeah. wouldn't have done that. Okay, then, I mean, they're, they're not in the, the affordable bracket, but it is, you no. know, even at that level where you'd hope you make some margin out of them, those cars yeah. are only possible if you go into a JV with someone. Yeah, um, GR86 and BRZ, same yeah. thing, isn't it? Um, and so that's, that does explain why the affordable sports car market looks a bit thinner than it has done in the past. Although we do have, and you've touched on it, a good number of affordable and brilliant little hot hatches out there. You know, there are minis, there's the Fiesta ST for now, there's the i20N, other bits and pieces. Um, so maybe that is where the affordable fun is at the moment. How long um, are they going to last? How long are they going to Well, the Fiesta, you, a few you, months. You think, of, you think of the world 
that those cars were invented in. You think of the world that they've come into. It's not the same place, is it? It really isn't the same place. And, you know, I, I, I really hope I'm wrong and I'm not some kind of, you know, soothsayer who can see the future and, and pretends to know any of it, let alone all of it. But um, I just think it's going to be difficult. I just think it's going to be difficult. Um, and unless, a, you know, a car manufacturer, and I can actually see, you know, a, a manufacturer like Hyundai, um, which, you know, has started to make giant strides and in its mainstream off- offerings is is absolutely comparable with the best that Europe can do. But they still have this thing with the brand is not quite as strong and people don't covet a Hyundai in the same way they might covet a Volkswagen. I can still see them taking a strategic decision that cars like the i20N are really good at that. So they still need to make cars like that. But you know, so 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 there there is, as I say, a strategic reason for cars like that to survive. But you know, how many that uh, relates to, and, and 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 how long they will last, I don't know. I don't know. Th- but think enjoy back while you can. to think back to two thousand and eight. What did Toyota do with its fun cars? Well, it got rid of all of them. Didn't it? it put a it put a gun to their head and pulled the yeah. trigger. Just got rid. Yeah. In the same way that, and you went, you, I, well, well, no, you probably won't remember this, but you know, but but, but Honda did did it as as well earlier in the nineties. They just got rid of everything. Mm. Um, yeah, and and it's telling now that Toyota is actually producing more of these affordable-ish, fun cars than many many other car makers. Think about the GR range, GR Yaris, GR Supra. I know it's a bit more expensive, GR eighty six. So they clearly recognise that. Actually, it's not good long term just to produce worthy stuff because there has to be some degree of desirability around your brand. But at the same time, yeah, you're you're right. But two things. Firstly, with the GR86, um, my understanding is absolutely that that thing scraped through. Literally, they, they just made the business case for it. And so it got made. It was it was the absolute opposite of a slam dunk. Um, so you know that's you know, that's one thing. And the second thing is, it would be really interesting to go to them now, um, if you could get a straight answer out of them, and just say, okay, imagine when you made all those decisions to do those cars, the world was like it is now. Would you have done those cars? I don't know if you get the same answer. I don't know if you get the same answer. You know when you're when the when the global economy is so much worse when you're that much closer to those cars being rendered obsolete anyway um i'm not sure that they would so you know the, the the cars that we see on the streets today are always a lagging indicator aren't they they're always it's like it's like all those supercars that got designed um you know in the bull market of the late 1980s you know the xg220s and eb110s and mclaren f1s and all and all those sorts of things well you know they may have been you know, conceived in that world but they were born into a very different one um and they all died on their asses yeah yeah commercially. as a result mm. yeah it's a good point okay so let's talk about the here and now then what are the yeah. fun affordable cars that are out there well, can um, we just do the fiesta i just want to talk about the fiesta because i just think it i mean i know i and i understand why well the fiesta in general and the st in particular have been canned but it makes me like you know i've been a bit surprised by just how 
I don't know, sad is too emotional a word, but just, you know, frankly, frankly, a bit put out I've been by the news that um, the fiesta has gone. Um, you know, as I wrote um, on our Instagram piece, you know, it's it's such an enduring nameplate. Um, and I know there were some rubbish ones in the middle. Um, but, you know, from the early XR2 to, you know, the ST of today, um, and actually all the so many, certainly since 2000 and when was it? Oh, I can't remember. Two thousand eight, two thousand and nine, when the generation before this one came out. You know, the, the, the really, yeah, yeah, um, the sort of the game changing generation, the one that looked like an Aston Martin. Um, so many people have had so much fun. So many lives have been improved on a daily basis just by knowing that there was a yeah, just as like a one liter ZTEC Fiesta, you know, parked outside your house, and you get to get in there, and and it was your own fun little world, and. And that was great. And that's all going to stop now. And it's just, it is sad. It, it is, I genuinely think it is sad. And, you know, the Fiesta ST is one of the most joyous cars I've ever driven uh, of any kind at any price. It's just, it's just so much fun. And it's so much fun because you know, when you drive it, it's got nothing to do with its performance, that it was engineered by people who got it, who people who understood, who understood what a fun car should feel like. Um, and they, they knew it wasn't about 0 to 60 times and power outputs and lateral, ad, you know, adhesion. They just knew it was about poise and precision and being able to hoof the thing around a bit, um, without it ever using more space than it should. Um, and the feel of the thing and, you know, what drivers really want. And there are so many people, and this is what, you know, this is what worries me so much about the future. There are so many people who have cars like that who won't even know why they love them. They'll just say, they won't be able to say, oh, yes, I love it because, you know, I love all the lift-off oversteer or, you know, the gearing of the steer. They won't know. They'll just think, they'll just say, I don't know why I love it, but they just do. It's just so much fun to drive. And you'll go, well, why is it fun to drive? And they'll just go, well, I just really enjoy driving. And that's enough doesn't matter you don't have to you know i don't have to know how my television works to enjoy watching it it's you know it, it, the fact that it does it is all that you need uh, and you know the fact that's all gonna go and be replaced by what you know what is what is ford's budget offering going to be what is ford going to offer to the to the young driver of the future is it the puma well, yeah, but when you, what's the smallest amount of I don't know. What's the smallest amount of money you can pay pay for a Puma? I don't know, but I bet it begins with a two. Mm. You know, you can, yeah, what you can't do is you is, is you can't go and you know. I've just, funnily enough, today I've just sold um, the Toyota Igo that my daughters learnt to drive in. They've both grown up and they've both gone. Uh, and when I needed that car, I thought when I wanted to buy that car, I thought, well, I need a car that will do this job and. Um, I don't want to spend a huge amount of money on it. And so I went and bought a, what was it at the time, a seven-year-old Toyota Rigo. I didn't pay very much. Well, you can't go and buy a seven-year-old Puma for not very much money because A, there aren't any, and B, even if there were, they'd, be, they'd still be expensive. So that's all gone. Mm. Yeah, it has all gone. It's changing very quickly, very quickly. Yeah. Um, it's a totally different environment And I, and, now, and I wonder it? whether... I wonder whether these manufacturers just think, well, it's okay because uh, we accept we will sell fewer cars in the future. That's inevitable. But it's all right because we'll make 
a lot of money because we'll charge a lot of money for them. And besides, we really haven't got a choice because it's not possible to make a car like a Fiesta anymore that is financially viable. So, but then what does that do to what does that do to people who need affordable cars? What does that do to people who can't afford to drop you know thirty grand into a Vauxhall Corsa because that's what an electric Corsa costs? That's the least amount of money um, you'll spend on an electric Corsa. What's going to happen to them? I mean, the cheapest Fiesta at the moment. I looked it up. Um, I was surprised by how much it was. What do you think is the least amount of money you can spend on a Fiesta right now? Is it seventeen? Very good, eighteen. Mm. It might be seventeen nine nine five or something, but it's about eighteen thousand pounds. And it feels like it wasn't that long ago that you'd get one for eight or nine. Yeah, it's a lot of money, isn't it? And that's a Fiesta. Well, yeah. if you think that's a lot of money, try and buy you know an electric car in that class. It's not eighteen grand. It's thirty thousand pounds. Now, it may be that you can get great deals on PCPs and everything else at the moment, but, you know, how long is that going to last with interest rates going up? You know, as you said to me before we came on air, you know, the reason for that is interest rates have been so low. It's all been pretty cheap money, so they've been able to price these things affordably. Well, ha-ha, not anymore. <laughs> it's, yeah, that's right. That's absolutely right. And against that backdrop, fun cars to get us back on track, are very, very difficult for <laughs> a car maker to justify. Um, <laughs> no, but you, uh, it's, it's all stuff that needs to be said, isn't it? Um, so, I, yeah, I mean, the, the ST, that is no... It, it, I think it's in June, isn't it, next year or July? June, yeah. I think, that they stopped producing the Fiesta. Um, so we have a few more months of Fiesta production, and then that will be the end of the Fiesta ST for good. And I, as we all do, you know, we think back to the fun that we've had in Fiestas. I've been thinking about STs in particular. And one drive will live long in the memory. It was Route Napoleon ST200, which was the sort of run-out the last one, special it? they yeah. did of the Seven, the Mark Seven, And just honestly, howling along that road, which is one of the world's great driving roads, in that car was bliss. I adored every moment of it. And you kind of think, oh, great, well, there'll always be a Fiesta ST, you know, because it's a, it's a mainstay. But no, a few months and it'll be gone. And you just wonder, what will fill its place, if anything, ever? You know, am I going to repeat that journey, that entire day spent hammering along the Route Napoleon in a fast, fun little Ford, when it's a battery-powered thing? Well, you might, because maybe. never is a long yeah, time. maybe. Yeah. But it's it, it, what it isn't. It's not any time soon. It's not going to happen soon, is it? No. Well, because you know, because battery, you know, the b- batteries are two things. Small and affordable cars can't be, which is big and expensive. You know, there's nothing which makes you know battery power more. What am I trying to say? Um, small affordable cars and EVs are just not suited to each other because you either. You know, you either, you know, make them small and put tiny batteries in them, which says nobody wants them um, because they've got no range. Um, or you put big batteries in them, which says they're almost certainly no longer small and they're certainly not no longer affordable, which says people can't afford them. So, you know, I, mean, I, I think we're looking for a technological breakthrough, the likes of which we haven't seen yet in, in EV technology before these cars are going to come back on stream. You know, something like solid state had it ever happened, if it ever happens, um, where you have something which is much more compact, much more energy dense, 
um, easier, quicker to recharge, and everything else that um, we know is so good about the theory of solid state, that could do it. But, you know, if Dyson can't do it, um, with all the money that he threw at that project before he canned it, um, then, you know, I, I, I'd say that it, it ain't happening anytime soon. So, I, I'm, you know, I really even, am... even on solid state, I, um, I was speaking to a Ferrari engineer who said that, and this was when we'd just driven the SF90, which is a hybrid, um, and he said that solid state might increase capacity or reduce the size and weight of a battery by 10%. And the advantages come elsewhere, it's safer. But, you know, that doesn't seem like a, a great step change. I Others might say it's that. more. Yeah, yeah. He, I was surprised when he said 10%. And actually, I've, I've spoken to so many people about this, and there will be continual improvements with lithium-ion, you know, a good 5, 6, 7, been. 8% a year. It'll, they'll keep There already have been. Yeah. Yeah. And it but how happening. far do they have to go? Yeah, and but the... The major point is that development around lithium-ion is not going to be around power density or weight. It's going to be around coming away from rare earth metals, which is actually a better ambition, a better goal. Um, and but you know that actually for the driver on the road, there's no real world benefit there. It has to happen, and it will happen. It's good that that's where the development will come, but it's not as though suddenly in five years your battery electric car with a lithium-ion battery is going to have double the range no no it's not um anyway can we we just really annoy people and talk about the gr86 for a minute the gr86 that no one can buy so frustrating isn't it do you know i when i got rid of my car i reckon i would have had a gr86 if i could get one but you can't (laughs) there's so few that it's only on sale for two years only in production for two years and yeah. the allocation God, in the UK is tiny, and they're gone. Imagine what the residuals are. I mean, you, if you've got one, I yeah. reckon you've got a free car, haven't you? You've got yeah. a better than Keep a free it. car. I, re- I reckon the market will pay you to have that car um, pretty yeah. much for as long as you want to have it. Um, well, so do you know you, what? If, and people are going to be selling allocations like yeah, they do for 911 GT3s. Bloody hell. These weird market it's, distortions are odd, aren't they? They're so odd. Yeah. Um, but okay, so so... So the GR86, I'm, you know, but I've been lucky enough to I've driven I've driven them on road and on track, um, and there is just something wonderful about it, because by not trying to be clever, it is so incredibly clever, because it just goes. We don't need all of that crap. We don't need all those assistance systems. We don't need that. You know, we don't need a massive contact patch. We don't need, you know, all those acronyms that come after a car's name with all the gizmos and stuff. What we need is a car which puts its engine at one end and you drive it at the other. Okay, we're going to make that engine breathe at atmospheric pressure because that's what the best engines do. And we're going to allow you to select which gear you're in with a thing called a clutch and a gear lever. And that's it. And, you know, and if you look at that, I mean, that's the formula that goes back to you know, the dawn of the car, you know, the very first sports cars were all like that. And the sports cars that, you know, I think we probably love the most, whether you're talking, you know, affordable MX-5s or, you know, unaffordable Ferrari Daytonas, they're all the same. They all have that layout and with very, very good reason. And, and you get in the, eight, the, the the GR86 in much the same way as, we, as, as the GT86. And there is something so so pure and so natural and so clearly right just about the configuration and then on top of that 
you know, they, they, they have engineered it pretty well. Now, actually, I don't think it is quite as nice to live with as a GT86 because they firmed it up um, and they have made it a bit more sensible. I mean, it will still slide and slide and slide if you want to do, but you have to, it, it's not kind of like that almost ridiculously um, natural state that it was for the GT86. It's the uh, tyres, isn't it? Yes, the tyres. Well, I mean, GT86 came on Prius tyres, didn't it? Uh, whereas I think a, a GR86 comes on PS4s or maybe PS4Ss, Michelin's. Um, so, yeah, but it's also firmer still. Uh, it doesn't ride as well as a GT86. Um, but, you know, I had an on-track uh, alongside a lot of very senior stuff. Very, very senior. And you wouldn't believe how well it did in that company. Well, you probably would. Um, because it's not about how fast you're going. And I've said this so many times before, but I'm going to say it again. You know, the faster you have to go to get a car to do what it does is directly related to the number of opportunities you get to do it. And the faster it is, the fewer the opportunities. And it is as simple as that. Um, so and I just love those sorts of cars. I love the fact that they're light and they're balanced and they have feel and they don't take up too much. I mean, everything I want about the car, about a car is encapsulated in that kind of car um and i can remember in i don't know 1990 or 1989 or whatever when i first drove an mx5 just thinking exactly that just the, you know, the very very first mx5 into the uk and i got in it and i did the auto car road test on it and just thinking actually it, this is what i want a fun car to be and it doesn't have to be you know, cost a bazillion pounds and everything else. It's just fun. And you can't be driving that car and be cheesed off at the same time because it's just so infectiously communicative and fun. And yeah, <laughs> going to miss them. Well, there's some good news on that with regard to the MX-5, I mean. Um, we'd do a new one in a couple of years, maybe 2024, around there. Um, and... It will be true to the MX-5 formula, it seems. Um, it's going to be considered completely separate to Mazda's other mainstream, well, the, the mainstream models that Mazda produces, which are heading in the EV direction, obviously. Um, and it's not going to share its architecture, its, its platform with any other Mazda. So it's going to be a bespoke, rear-drive, small, light, petrol-powered roadster. Um, and it's just encouraging to know that actually, while we sit here and sometimes it does feel like doom and gloom, there is a new MX-5 coming and it should, as long as they get it right, it should be fun to drive and affordable like the current car. Um, so that's something to look forward to, at least. Um, whether or not it'll be naturally aspirated, I don't know. But Can we just speculate as to, well, why they're doing it? I mean, okay, well, I mean, you know, there is a car manufacturer, so they won't, wouldn't do it. They were not doing it out of the goodness of their hearts. They're not just sitting there thinking, oh, poor old Dan and Andrew, they're, they're a bit down on the mouth today. Let's do them in MX-5. They're doing it because they can make money out of it, or they think they can make money out of it. Yeah. Um, and obviously, at the time that car got signed off, as I said earlier, the world was a different place. But I think I think the MX-5 is a special case um, because it has that market pretty much to itself. And it's had, I mean, I know that cars have come along. Cars like, uh, well, the, the last Toyota MRT is a particular case in point. You know, so it has attracted the odd direct rival, but very, mm. very few. So Not for over 30 one. years. Yeah. So for over 30, I mean, and, and that's the thing, isn't it? Sometimes a new car comes along and it's so good 
that everybody feels the need to jump on the bandwagon. But just occasionally, something comes along which is so completely off the scale, everybody just goes, we're not going anywhere near it. Yeah. Uh, and the MX-5 <laughs> is that car, isn't it? Um, and yeah. it has always been a special case. And... Yeah, so it's fantastic that they're making another one, and and that makes me happy, and I look forward to driving it. Whether there'll be one after that, well, I mean, if, if there is one after that, it'll have to be an EV, won't it? Yeah, it will be. It will be. So there's, an, there's yeah. probably one more petrol-powered MX-5. Um, but the volumes must be good on the MX-5 as well. It must, must sell be. really yeah. well around the world, yeah. which yeah. makes all the difference, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, okay, well, there's another, reported this week, another hopefully affordable-ish sports car coming, a Caterham. This one is electric, um, but it it's going to be a sort of bigger, more modern-looking thing than a seven. Um, reportedly, it's coming in twenty twenty six, maybe with a roof. Um, bigger, more aerodynamic than a seven. There'll be some modern conveniences inside. There'll be some safety tech, ABS, power steering. So not a fully paired back, um, pure driver's car, quite like a seven. Steel space frame chassis, though, still light. Um, maybe a thousand cars a year um, in a built in a new factory rear wheel drive fully electric uh, actually I say bring it on I'm really intrigued to learn more about this car and have a go in it but it has to be light and it has to be simple and it has to be fun to drive um, of course you're not going to have a manual gearbox um, you're not going to have a gearbox well, you're no. on a single speed gearbox. <laughs> yeah. And it will have, it'll be very quiet. And it just, but just how light can they get one of these things? You know, it's even Caterham, how light can they get a car? Well, it has, well, it has, it has to be under a ton, doesn't it? it it's got to be. But how be. small is, how limiting is the, the battery range if it's that <laughs> well, light? Well, okay. So, okay, let, let, let me give the case for and against. Um, the case against is a thing called the Caterham 21. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so so they've been down this road before. They've they, they, they've tried to do a more user friendly catering before. Um, well, and, and the Alpine collab that never happened, uh, and, and the Alpine collaboration that never happened, um, and and in both cases uh, it went very badly wrong. Uh, can't remember how many twenty ones were made, but it was it's I don't know it's it's it's, it's more than ten and it's fewer than fifty. It's it's, <laughs> it's I, th- I think it's in the twenties. The 21 was certainly a very unlucky car because it came along at exactly the same time as the Lotus Elise um, and did effectively the same job. So maybe there was a reason for that. Um, But it is a leap, isn't it? I mean, it's a big, big leap to go from, um, you know, the most tactile driving experience pretty much on the road today um, to something which won't make any noise and doesn't have a gearbox um, and is going to be heavier. Um, and who's the target customer? Uh, is it a traditional catering buyer? Are they going for something? It would suggest to me, from the volumes you're talking about, that they're after somebody else entirely because catering make between five and 600 cars at the, year, at, at, at the moment. And given that they're going to keep the seven in production um, and they're going to build it. So, so this electric, whatever it is, is going to be their bestseller. It's going to be their mainstay car. Um, and I think that is, I think it's incredibly brave. I think it's incredibly ambitious. Uh, I wish them all the very best of luck with it, with it, but it concerns me. 
On the other hand, the point four, which goes back to what you were saying about the range, is I think if there's one car, there's one electric car where age is just not that important, it is something like a Caterham. You know, if you're going to make an electric Cayman, it has to have range because it has to be usable um, because people will use it as their, as their everyday car. People aren't going to use an electric Caterham as an everyday car. Uh, well, a few nut, nut, nutters might. but um, So I think because it will be a recreation, um, the pressure to do a car that will do 250 miles on a charge isn't there. And I think if it did... What do you think, Dan? 150 genuine miles on a charge? Well, let's imagine that that you're driving it the way a Caterham should be driven, and that makes a huge difference. Sure. Perhaps even a hundred would be would be adequate. You know, think about how you your how you use your seven, and it's a slightly different kind of car. Um, Yeah. Actually, maybe it's a very different kind of car. But I don't suspect you do long journeys in yours, do you? Uh, no, and, and if I do, they're artificial. It's because you know I got a photo shoot somewhere which it needs yeah. to be part of. Um, well, I did. I mean, I did. Okay, so I took it over to um, Sussex. I mean, I live in the Welsh borders, and I took it over to Sussex um, for a weekend driving various cars with my mates and back, and and that was fine. Um, and if it had been electric, yeah, I mean, the, well, I could. Yeah, it would have been. It would have been difficult. It would have been difficult, but but that's one journey. In very, you know, so what it, what it would do, which is what I usually do with it. Um, you know, my, one of the favourite things I I do of a weekend, particularly in the summer when I can get up early, is get in the seven at like five in the morning, drive off into the beacons, find a mountain, mm. walk up it, come back down, and drive home again, and be home in time for breakfast. Uh, I absolutely love that, and certainly an electric one would do that journey. Uh, if 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 I could get a even 120 miles out of it um, yeah. certainly 150 so for that kind of, which i think is a more typical um use scenario then yeah it would work for that and uh, you know if we had a very very good charge network and you knew more or less wherever you were going you could find somewhere near enough to plug in and for 15 minutes 15 minutes later you've got a full battery that's a totally different game isn't it it um, is and also because it will have a small battery it won't take long to charge yeah yeah um and 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 maybe and and also the other thing is is that we will you know by the time this thing comes along in whatever it is four years time a the infrastructure will be that much better b Mm. you know lots of similar cars lots of the cars that you know that we would compare it to today won't be around anymore Uh, and we will just be you know that much more used to evs and their limitations and you know it just won't be the problem then that we perceive it is now but, I mean, what interests me is how Caterham, this, you know, quirky little, very British brand, which makes these stripped out impractical road racing cars, is going to somehow convince a thousand overwhelmingly other people, unless they're talking about additions, so people have sevens and one of these things, which they may well, I guess, um, that... A caterum is a thing to have rather than, you know, anything else from a more familiar baron that may be around at the time for a similar price. Um, and there was another one apparently on its way in a similar sort of market, the new MG electric sports car, previewed yeah. last year by the Cyberster, which yeah, was a which concept. 
It does, although why does it need five, six hundred horsepower? Why does it need to do not sixty in three seconds? You know, well, maybe like, it won't. Well, it, but, but why does the concept even need to do that? I, d- I don't the, understand because they, that. Well, because uh, they need headlines. So, well, I mean, I, t- I take your point. Wouldn't, wouldn't, how much happier would you be if it just had 300 horsepower and was that much lighter as, as a result? It would just be yeah. better, wouldn't it? Yeah, that'd be fantastic. Someone has to do it. And, uh, you know, there's, it's not been confirmed that they are going to build... Effectively, it'll be an electric rival to the Mazda MX-5. Um, yeah. But... Let's. I really hope they do. It'll be interesting. Um, uh, I just I really, uh, I, I really think that they will. Um, that platform that they've built for the MG4, which mm. is a cracking car, um, and actually we were talking about Corsairs, you know, not replacing Fiesta and that sort of thing. If there ever were an electric car, an affordable electric car, the closest that there is to replacing a, a petrol car like a Fiesta is that MG4 actually which I think costs from about £25,000 so yeah we mustn't not mention that but sorry the point is that that platform that it's on is so flexible yeah you know it can make everything from well it can make an MG4 it can make a car a hatchback even smaller than MG4 it can make that sports car and it can make something with a wheelbase of an S-Class Mercedes Mm. Um, and they didn't develop that all that platform from scratch not to do a lot of different things with it because those guys are on the move and we know mm. they are. We know that they are absolutely, you know, particularly now that the Koreans have become sufficiently well established that they don't no longer feel the need to um, compete on the sort of um, stack them high, sell them cheap uh, basis. The MG is going to move into that territory while at the same yeah. time exploiting, you know, th- the brand equity that they have in that octagon. Um, and I think what better than uh, an electric two-seat sports car? Um, mm. Because they could credibly sell that as an MG because that's what MGs are to most people. Yeah. Even yeah. now, if somebody says to me, MG, and what comes into my head, it'll be an MGB. Mm. It'll be a two-seat affordable sports car. Um, so I'm sure they will do it. And I'm fascinated to see, you know, if it is anything like as good at its job as the MG4 is, it's, you, know, you know, watch out, world. Um, mm. Because, you know, these guys are good. They know what they're doing. And there'll be others coming in from China as well. Um, Andrew English wrote a piece for us on the TI app and website recently looking at the the Chinese brands that are going to start establishing themselves in Europe. Um, and there are lots of them. Um, and that's right. They are going to be operating on the value basis, aren't they? Stack them high, sell it cheap. Um, yeah. the, the same game that the Koreans started playing 20 years ago or something. But don't play anymore because they don't need to. Because that, because, well, I've you know, got that... a... I've got a Kia EV6 GT outside at the moment. I've Yo, got, I haven't it driven it. I haven't driven it, so I'm not going to talk about it much. But it's got it's got almost 600 horsepower, <laughs> and it costs sixty two and a half thousand pounds. <laughs> well, <laughs> so that's that well, a bargain compared to that Genesis we were in the other day. So yeah, Dan yeah, and I were in, a, were in a Genesis going off to do some job together, uh, and a Genesis is the sort of posh Korean brand. It is to um hyundai what uh, lexus is to toyota isn't it uh, or mm. acura to honda yeah but nevertheless it is it's an ionic five underneath isn't it yeah and okay this was the top of the range model and it had lots of goodies on it but here was a korean suv which that car had a list price of um 65 basic this one was specced up to 75 75 thousand pounds it's just insane, isn't it? Actually, I'm going to write, write a review about that car soon because I have them, some thoughts. Um, I'm going to drive this <laughs> Kia first and see, see how they compare, but I will write about it. 
Um, yeah. It, yeah, it is just staggering the the price. Well, this is another problem with these affordable electric, electric sports cars that we hope are on the way. How affordable are they going to be? How I mean, affordable at, are they going to be? Look at all the other EVs out there. They're scarcely affordable, are they? And these are sort of mass-produced no. ones that platforms share with petrol cars. Maybe they're not going to be affordable. Maybe they are fifty grand plus cars. All the you know the electric Catrium, the electric MG. Do you think this is going to be our most miserable podcast to date? Uh, it's possible, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to pick a, a cheerier subject next week. Um, yes. Why I love but, going sideways. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we can talk about the GR86 again. Um, yeah, well, yeah. Well, so okay. One last uh, point of order on this topic. What does it mean for affordable? petrol-powered sports cars, because there will be a whole... So many people who, in their affordable fun car, they want a manual gearbox, they want a buzzy little engine. And that's fair enough, totally fair enough. But if you can't buy them new anymore, what does it mean for... You said just before we came on, what if you picked up a three-year-old low-mileage Fiesta ST now? Yes, yes. What What happens to the value of that car over the next three years? Well, I mean, the thing is, I could sit here and tell you what I really think, which is that you know you could have a free car for three years. Mm. And you could have it, you could hoon about in it, and 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 and, and then just, and then so somebody thinks, oh, that's a good idea, and goes and does that, and then something completely different happens because yeah. something uh, a person <laughs> as stupid as me hasn't even thought of gets in the way, and 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 I've you know I, I I've made someone spend a load of money which they shouldn't have spent. So I mean I don't want to be too definitive about that, but. Yeah. <sighs> I think that someone who was smart and was a canny shopper and knew what he or she was on about and who saw this thing coming, which it is coming, this absolute dearth of affordable cars of any kind, frankly, um, let alone affordable fun cars, and just thought, okay, so I'm going to cherry pick a few or one or two. Um, not because I want to make money out of them, but because, you know, I don't want to lose money on them, which is an entirely, you know, noble pursuit. I, I think you could you could get something which is fantastic, and I think it would look after you very well. Um, I mean, ultimately, I guess, if you kept it for years and years and years until, you know, and it's like we're banned, then that's a different conversation. But certainly for the next few years, I think, you know, something like a really nice, unmessed about, nicely specced, low mileage three-year-old Fiesta ST, yeah. Mm. But then also, people like me saying that isn't going to do the second-hand values any, you know. And, but there's an argument to say, isn't there, that there are cars across the board that fit similar criteria, desirable, Absolutely. and will always be fun to drive, that are yeah. going to look after you. So maybe now is the time. We're not talking with all that mo- With all that spare money we all have yeah, at well, the moment. Right. Yeah, but if you have something, maybe now is the time to put that money into a fun car that you don't pile a load of miles onto. Because it yeah. is going to look after you. When they're not yeah. being built anymore, the demand yeah. moves to the stuff that exists already. Um, and it all, and it all works until interest rates hit 10% and, you know, nothing's affordable at that stage. So I was trying to, to end it on a positive, it. happy note. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. I've got my bar humbug hat on this morning. Uh, oh, well. Okay. Well, there we go. Yes. That's affordable, fun cars. Um, right. We've got a, a very challenging listener question coming up. Oh, God. I'm I've, not in a mood to be challenged. I'm sorry, but you're going to be. I've, I, ha- I don't have an answer to it. It's a very tough question. Um, Is it what the, what's the greatest car you've ever driven? 
No, it's not, it's not like that. No, we'll, we'll do that one later on. Um, but before we do it, please go and rate and review this podcast. Lots of you have been doing it, and it really helps us find new, a, a, a bigger audience, new listeners. And actually, we've been doing quite well, haven't we? We look at those charts, those podcast charts, and our little podcast seems to float around the top of it somehow. Um, well, in the, the Autobos previous... chart and the leisure chart, the broader leisure um, chart. Yes, we, we we beat BBC Gardener's World, or was it Gardener's Question Time? The big gardening podcast. We beat that. Yeah, um, yeah, um, which I'm quite pleased. And we beat Brain of Britain as well, which doesn't really <laughs> mostly... define us, does it? <laughs> <laughs> leisure is mostly cars, gardening, knitting, and then a couple mm. of other bits and pieces, isn't it? Oh, um, dogs. There, there are quite a few oh, okay. dog podcasts on the. Like, yes, yeah. but anyway. So no, I mean the you know the last episode was oh well both the, the podcast generally and that episode um, got to number two in the UK leisure charts, which, which, which I you know I just find bizarre, frankly. I know I'm mm. not allowed to say that, but um, it, it, honestly, it gives us so much pleasure that uh, that you guys find you know us wittering on incessantly about all, all this sort of stuff. It, ju- it just means actually more than anything else that. You know, we're all sort of like-minded people together, and you know, and, and it's not just Dan and me just sitting there, um, and nobody else feels the same way. Clearly, quite a lot of you do. So, mm. thank you. And actually, we've been talking about how we do more of the podcast, haven't we? How we yeah, make yeah. it more varied, more interesting. Um, and there's so much that we can do. We've got big plans. Maybe we'll tell you about them soon. But there's plenty, plenty more to come. Um, so do also go and check out the Intercooler, the app, the website, the-intercooler.com. You can start your one-month free trial on us. Uh, if you don't like it, you can just cancel. Um, we don't think you will, though, because it's good, in our opinion. Uh, so the listener question... Do. <laughs> well, that's right. The listener question, then, comes from... And I'm going to get your name wrong. It's probably Robbie, but it's spelt R-O-B-E-Y. Roby? Robbie? Roby? Roby, yeah. maybe. You'll know who you are. Um, but he wants to know... It's a tough one. If you could only have one car and only ever drive that one car, what would it be? And it has to fit into your life. So if you've got kids, it has to be able to take them around. If you need oh, to. Oh, what? Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Dad. My kids have grown up and gone. <laughs> well, that's fine. It doesn't matter. So you, but you have to be able to use this as your one car. And you don't borrow other cars, you don't have something fun in the shed. It's one car. And he says that his. Um, is the oh okay so his is the the current Audi S4 um, and he has one so well done to you um, but I, I mean I've been thinking about this and I just, I just don't have an answer which isn't good enough so I'll come up with something I've got an answer if, it, if, if, if I don't have to put my children in it no it is, if you have to put your children in it ever at all or anyone else it has to be able to do that do I have to pay for the fuel? Um, okay, I'll give you that. You don't have to pay for the car itself or the fuel. E63 wagon. Yeah. I think I'm probably M5 CS. So similar oh, sort of train of thought call. there, isn't it? Mm. That's a good call. M5 CS. Because I, I, I was thinking M5 and I was thinking, well, it would have to be an E60. Yeah, that's a bit... Um, but no, you're right. M5 CS, very good call. Um if it wasn't for the children, so it has to do everything other than that. Mm. So it also has to be a sort of almost slightly almost sort of classic car. Rear drive manual 997 GTS coupe. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, that's, I get that one. That's the one. Mm. A late 997 GTS. 
coupe, manual, oh. rear drive. Yes, yeah, please. fantastic. That's a good answer. Yeah. Um, well, it's a totally different thing if I'm making you pay for the car and the fuel, isn't it? I, I don't even. I'd need to give that one more time. But. Well, okay. If you're making me, if making me pay for the car and the fuel, I think, I think you've honestly. I'm not joking. Um, I hate to blow smoke though I do. I think you've got it. <laughs> Do you know what? I was going to say mine as well, but I didn't dare to. Now that you have, uh, yeah, Golf GTI uh, performance, Mark 7.5, Golf t- manual. Yeah. Yeah. Five door. With the, with the diff and, yeah, absolutely. Mm. With the performance. Is it the performance pack it's called? Yeah. Yeah. I think you've got God. it. I hope Yay. that car looks after me over the next few years. Uh, okay. Well, thank you for your question, Roby. Robbie, sorry. Um, <laughs> please, it's a fun way to end the podcast, isn't it? I think people enjoy the listener question at the end of the podcast people tell us that they do so get yours across and if it's a good one we'll use it next week see ya